Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 425 of Linux in the Hamshack. The most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is our short topics edition, and this will be the last edition. Well, not the last edition. This will be the edition that follows our live recording at the QSO Today Virtual Ham Expo. So we hope we saw you there. And if you didn't get a chance to make it, that episode will be released as an episode of the program. Probably 426, but we may have to check with Eric and see, you know, when when we can do that but anyway hope everybody uh get got to go to the qso today virtual ham expo or uh if nothing else just listen to the episode of this when it comes out so <laughs> because that's the only thing that's really important now just all right so anyway let's go ahead and introduce ourselves before we get into our short topics for tonight i'm russ k5tux i'm cheryl w5moo and i'm bill ne4rd all righty then. So, hey, we're all here. Amazing. Woo-woo. Yeah. And uh, as I just mentioned, the QSO Today Virtual Ham Expo was last weekend as of this recording. Um, you know, if you're listening to it on the day it's released, it was just yesterday and the day before. So it's all fresh in your mind. <laughs> and we, For those uh, that are attending it, right? <laughs> yeah, for those who are attending it. Yes, yes, of course. And, and everybody will, right? Everybody's going to attend it, so. Oh, I don't know. I've seen some negative Nancys on the uh, on the on the uh, blogospheres. <laughs> well, everybody's so negative about everything these days. It doesn't matter. We hope you went, and we hope you caught our our talk live. And if you didn't get your talk live, definitely listen to it when it comes out as an episode. Which, if you are a you know steadfast listener, you'll be doing anyway. So there you go. Uh, so let's just sort of move along and get right into it. Our first topics are amateur radio related. And I guess I'll go ahead and read the first one. July Volunteer Monitor Program Report is released. The program, I believe this is a, a something we may have mentioned in the past. I think we did, um, and, but now it's sort of come to fruition. Uh, this program is a joint initiative between the ARRL and the FCC to enhance compliance in the amateur radio service. Uh, the IT staff at ARL headquarters has begun wor- work on an automated system for volunteer monitors to report monthly monitoring hours and incident reports. Exa- uh, yeah, this is this is like uh, you know voluntary ham radio policing of the airwaves is what this is all about. So they've started to do this. They've been doing it manually. They hope to be doing it in an automated fashion going forward. And some of the examples they were rec- included in this report in the story on the ARRL. Uh, I just threw a couple of them in here. You can read more, of course. Uh, a general class licensee in Ackworth, Georgia, 
received an advisory notice concerning failure to identify properly and for repeated communication with unlicensed stations on 3.895 megahertz. Ooh. So what are they doing about the unlicensed stations? Going after them? Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> so, so this guy's going to be busted for talking to stations with no license, but, you know, what are they going to do? And uh, the other one I threw in here was also technician class licenses in Spring Valley, Smith River, and Nipomo, California, Oneonta, New York, Idaho Falls, Idaho, and Center, Texas, received advisory notices concerning FTA operation on frequencies not authorized to technician licensees. Oh, no. Into the... Bad boys. Yep. Into the uh, verboten parts of the bands. Oh, no. Uh, but anyway, there's a lot more incident reports that have come out, and uh, there will be more of these, of course, going forward as the airwaves attempt to be policed from within. So <laughs> there you go. Anyway, that's. Oh, we need to take a pause real quick. We, we need to take a pause. Okay. Because you're only sending out your, your voice on the stream for some reason. <laughs> oh, that's because I clicked the wrong button. <laughs> we'll just edit this part out. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't have to edit this part out because oh, oh okay. this part, yeah, this this part where we're sitting yes. here bullshitting, yeah. So I'll edit that part out. Okay, there. That should <laughs> that should take care of that. Everybody uh, should hear everything, not just me. As uh, narcissistic as I am, I want everybody to hear everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving on, Bill, let's we'll let you have the second uh, amateur radio topic for the evening. And now that they can actually hear you out in the peanut gallery, uh, this will be a lot more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a physics professor awarded $400,000 NASA research grant. Nathaniel Frizzell, uh, is it like Miss Frizzle, Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus, uh, PhD assistant professor in the University of Scranton's physics and engineering department, will serve as principal investigator for the research project entitled Enabling Space Weather Research with Global Scale Amateur Radio Datasets. Interesting. Uh, with collaborators at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Haystack Observatory, and the U University of Alabama. Wow, is it? Was there supposed to be an extra camera in somewhere? There? Okay, it's oh, cut and paste because you know it's all works. one thing. Yeah, oh my yeah. Goodness, yeah. It's the MIT Haystack Observatory and the University of Alabama. Sorry about that. I <laughs> cold reading. <laughs> According to Doctor Frizzle, fr Frizzle, Frizzle, yeah, Frizzle. I got the Frizzles. Frizzle. Frizzles. Uh, the grant will fund the development of an empirical model for the prediction of traveling ionospheric disturbances, otherwise known as TIDs in high-frequency radio communications while investigating the geophysical drivers of these disturbances. The grant funds will be dispersed over a two-year period. This grant includes significant funding for participation of Scranton undergraduate students in this research, as well as the support for new computational resources, said Dr. Frizzle. Frizzle? 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 <laughs> He is the founder and lead organizer of the International Citizen Science Space Physics Research Collective, known as the HAM Radio Science Citizen Investigation, or HAMSci.org. Dr. Frizzell also serves as advisor to the student W3USR, University of Scranton Amateur Radio Club. And, of course, that came from the University of Scranton News, the local newspaper of the university. Woohoo! <laughs> It's and actually not called that. It's called, as well. it's called like Royal yeah. News or something. But I was oh. like, when I hear Royal News, I think like UK, <laughs> 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 not, not University of Scranton. 
but <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand how you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just put down University of Scranton News. There's a link to it anyway, so you can see the real name if you if you really like. So I, I had cool. actually so heard they of got like what? Oh, good. No, I had actually heard of Hamside.org like before this story. I didn't realize this was part of his thing. Oh, no, I didn't either. I, I've heard of it as well. I was just going to joke about the Scranton News, the university paper. Probably, you know, 10 people saw the news article, right? Like that. <laughs> well, now a whole <laughs> lot a small more. university? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now a whole lot more. got 100,000 students, right? <laughs> well, uh, university of Scranton? Yeah, I didn't, didn't do my research on that. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I went through Scranton a few weeks ago, though. Oh, I hate that place. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm sure they have a lovely university, though, and they have a lot of government money now. Uh, so with that being said, we are down to open source topics for the evening, and um, I'm, I'm guessing we're not going to get Cheryl to read one of these stories, but let's try. Dude, I'm busy. <laughs> See? I, I, what, what did I think? <laughs> All right. Fine, well, what? No no, 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 you go, you go do whatever you're doing, Facebooking or. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bill, whatever. <laughs> I told you a few minutes ago what I was doing. So. Yeah, I know. All right. Uh, so go back to doing that. We'll, we'll come back to you when we get down to the uh, social media roundup. How about that? Okay. Okay. All right. So anyway, moving on into open source topics, the first one we have here is Cornell researchers discover code poisoning attack. This is kind of an interesting one, and it has, I think it might actually involve blockchain at some point, but I don't think the article actually said anything about it. So I, I thought it was kind of cool, uh, cool in a black hat sort of way. Researchers with the Cornell University tech team have uncovered a new type of backdoor attack that they showed can manipulate natural language modeling systems to produce incorrect outputs and evade any known defense. They believe the attacks would be able to compromise algorithmic trading, email accounts, and more. The attack would give people or companies enormous power over modifying a wide range of things, including movie reviews or even uh, as investment banks' machine learning model, uh, an investment banks' machine learning model. So it ignores news that would have an effect on a company's stock. To defend against the attack, the researchers suggested a system that could detect deviations from the model's original code. That's where I think something like blockchain might come in. Professor and researcher Vitaly Shmatikov said that because of how popular AI and machine learning technologies have become, uh, have become many non-expert how... Did I read that right? I don't think I did. I got, I got so caught up on Shmatikov. <laughs> Professor and researcher Vitaly Shmatikov said that because of how popular AI and machine learning technologies have become, many non-expert users are building their models using code they barely understand. He added, the more work will be needed to be done on how, to how the attack could be used to automate propaganda and other damaging efforts. The goal of the effort, the, the uh, mitigation effort, that is, is to now create a defense system that will be able to, quote, eliminate this entire class of attacks and make AI stroke ML safe even for non-expert users, Shmatikov said. A little bit interesting, Yeesh. different kind of attack. Yeah, yeah, so that's uh, it's targeted at these uh, TensorFlow script kitties and stuff like that that are, you know, making things that they possibly shouldn't with the... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll see a, a nice market crash or something like that from a, you know, $3 trillion buyback on stock or something stupid. <laughs> yep. Well, we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. At least somebody knows about it before anything's actually happened. So 
I'm sure mitigation plans are in the works as we speak. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this kind of comes in a line with the story you read, uh, was it last time on the, uh, the people just importing Python libraries and not doing any code scanning or security scanning on stuff. And, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, these are the kind of important things when you're building a program is to make it secure and you have it handle errors properly. And so when things like this come around, which are trying to basically fool your model or fool your software... <laughs> You have some kind of mitigation and steps in place to, uh, to, uh, actually, uh, have a defense against that besides like some third party defense, which I don't think even exists. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of, lots of things in the security world these days with, uh, everything becoming much more advanced and with the proliferation of machine learning and AI and, and all that stuff, new ways that you can hack the system. All right, Bill, we'll let you have the next one. I did not check to see if I could find the license on this software, so I'm going to do that while you're reading it because it is a Linux topic, but it may not be open source specifically. Yeah, I'm trying to remember OnlyOffice. Uh, but anyway, I'll read the story. <coughs> OnlyOffice, all your Microsoft editing needs in one app. Uh, OnlyOffice is a business class productivity platform designed for internal team collaboration. While most of its products are targeted at small and enterprise businesses, it also offers a Microsoft Office Office alternative. I don't know why I can't speak today. Uh, for home use, <laughs> it's unique in that it includes document spreadsheet and presentation editors in a single desktop application. Uh, it works with most popular file formats, including DocX, ODT, XLSX, ODS, CSV, PPTX, and ODP. There's all your all your your library there of our alphabet of stuff and is free <laughs> you didn't do to it the use right on... way though you didn't go docx and audit yeah. and excel and, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. and audit. <laughs> yeah yeah it is free to use on windows mac and linux platforms uh like uh, most other office alternatives only office only office news to uh, uh only office has use to Mm. I think I, I think it's I think it's Hughes. I think it's supposed to be let's see, only Office uh, sticks to the Microsoft Ribbon interface. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> only Office sticks to the Microsoft Ribbon interfa uh, interface. Only Office supports a few cloud solutions to enable real time collaboration. Only Office's proprietary cloud would seem to be oh, proprietary. That's the word we don't want to hear. Uh, would seem to be the best choice for most users. But if you already have NextCloud, OwnCloud, or C file. Oh, those are open. Uh, you can connect with those as well. In addition to co-editing and commenting on documents, uh, connecting the, the desktop editor to one of these cloud services is also allows the user to interact using chat because, you know, we have no chat apps in the world out there. <laughs> uh, it's AGPL. And yes, AGPL. So uh, AGPL. Apache GPL. Yeah. Uh, Afro. AGPL. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Afro. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, came from PC World. We can tell because they... Wrote it really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I think only Office is available on. Isn't it on Android too? I think that, or maybe that was Quick Office. Oh, I'm getting all confused now. There's all these random Office solutions. Anyway, stick with LibreOffice. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it keeps getting faster and faster every release. So yeah, just move along. Nothing to see here. <laughs> And uh, interestingly, after quite a dearth of Linux in the Hamshack style stories over the past several weeks, we have a ton of them tonight. So um, let's just go ahead and dive right into it, into Linux in the Hamshack. I guess um, we're on the rebound. 
Uh, the first one here I found is uh, FT4 via amateur radio satellite AO73. There's not really an article so much as a pointer to a YouTube video. Uh, but the description here is, this article references a YouTube video showing the operation of FT4 via amateur radio satellite. In the first part of the video, you'll see the first screen with SDR console with an AirSpy Mini as the receiver. Audio is piped to WSJTX. Yay, WSJTX. You'll also see SDR console handle the TX Doppler correction for the IC705 via external radio. In the second part, you'll see the second screen with WSJTX connected to the IC705. The output was only 1 to 2 watts. You can see that WSJTX is reading the Doppler corrected frequency. You'll also see SDR console satellite tracking and PST rotator controlling the SPID RAS. Yeah, the SPID RAS rotor. <laughs> SPID. SPID RAS. So there you go. There's a YouTube video, and a link to that YouTube video is in the show notes. And that actually and was I just watched it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a minute and a half long. So yeah, it's not very long. <laughs> I forwarded it. I fast forwarded through all the uninteresting pieces, which is you know the repeat transmit, repeat receive, repeat transmit. <laughs> right. It's still kind of interesting. Not really though. cool with the with the Doppler shift and everything moving. Yeah. Um. That it hangs in there. That's cool. Yeah, that is very cool. So check that out. It's, it won't take up much of your time. And um, I don't know about the source that I found this from, Bali Inside, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> at, at least the thing it referenced was cool. So it seems to be like a news aggregation site that I'd never heard of. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually saw this article, too, pop up somewhere else. <laughs> I can't remember, but it's definitely been federated around a little bit. Um, yeah. So, uh, hmm. So not only are we polluting the regular airwaves with, uh, FT8 and FT4, <laughs> we're going to destroy all the satellites. So, so no more CW and voice. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll see those contacts go down and <laughs> at least in the linear birds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on, on the one hand, yes, I, I can see, uh, the people missing out definitely for the phone and CW contacts, but. FT4 contacts, you have to admit, are really fast. So, yes. <laughs> you know, maybe they, maybe we need to put something in place where, you know, certain passes are associated with certain modes or something. I mean, I don't know, but. Well, it's small enough that it's not going to be in the way. That's for sure. Right. It's just like another CW signal or something like that. So, <laughs> but if they're all over the place, then, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> all right. So sticking with, uh, well. Linux in the ham shack. We have uh, several other topics, actually. And uh, I guess, Bill, you can cover the next one on uh, SDR++, since we're talking about SDRs and all kinds of digital things. Yeah, and I wish I had more to talk about on this. I was trying to get it running, but I ran into one of their noted bugs. But this is a SDR++, and it's a cross-platform and open-source SDR software with the aim of being bloat-free and simple to use. Not simple to install. No, just <laughs> Features uh, wide hardware support, both through SOAPy SDR and uh, dedicated modules, uh, SIMD accelerated DSP, cross-platform for Windows, Linux, OS X, and BSD, a full waterfall update when possible, and makes browsing signals easier and more pleasant. And, of course, there are uh, good in installation instructions included. And as well, they have a few troubleshooting things in there. If you uh, if you run into one of the uh, several bugs that uh, have not been resolved yet in the software, they just recently hit 1.0. Um, I was, that was I had them queued up to mention them anyway, but uh, they are currently at 1.0.3, uh, fixing some of these bugs from their 1.0 release. So uh, I'm I'm excited to play around with it. It, it looks really nice and. Uh, 
And if it didn't crash, I'm sure it would load really fast because you know, I can watch it all through the console. <laughs> and it's it's ready to get to the next step, but it's uh, it's crashing on one of my soapy SDR modules, probably from one of my other installs that uh, I didn't use the 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 uh, you know one of the dev packages or something like that for. So just got to track that down and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully correct that. And uh, I will uh, I will report back on uh, on SDR plus plus. But uh, it's been around for quite a while. I know I played with it uh, early on. It's kind of it's kind of reminds me of like SDR sharp. Um, if you're familiar with that interface, it uh, has a kind of like the same looks and but it looks it looks even better, I think, <laughs> because it's a so it's a lot different than uh, I guess when I was looking at both of these at uh, probably like a year or two ago. So anyway, yeah, check out SDR plus plus and uh, hopefully uh, we'll uh, we'll come back with either a, a deep dive or uh, maybe a more uh, in-depth uh, look at uh, the that particular product. All right, very good. And since I see that the last topic is going to be have to be yours because it's uh, one where you're sort of reviewing a uh, distro, I will uh, cold read this next one about JS8 Map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about this one. I just didn't really have much to put in. No, that's all right. JS8 Map is an adjunct tool to run alongside the JS8 call program. Uh, if you couldn't figure that out from the name, sure. It listens to UDP messages from JS8 call and updates a map of static locations and behavior. Hmm, seems like there's already an app for that. Uh, basic operation, a, stash, a station will be drawn on this map as soon as all of the conditions are satisfied. The station's location is known, either from the callbook data file or by hearing a heartbeat or grid message from the station. Uh, the station is the source or destination of a transmission, and the station's location falls within the locked map area, if any. Any newly discovered station location are... <clears throat> say it. Let's try that again. Any newly discovered station locations are saved in the file callbook.dat so that the program will have a head start the next time it is run. Some stations do not enable the automatic reading of heartbeats or sending of heartbeats. Yeah, I should just clean my glasses, too. I can't see. Squat. <laughs> oh, you know why? Because I haven't blown up my screen. <laughs> okay, here we go. Ah, I can see. Now I've lost my place. <laughs> yeah, it's not one thing, it's another. Okay, let's see. Any Some stations do not enable the automatic sending of heartbeats. These stations could be considered not to be participating in the network. They will not automatically appear on the map because JS8 map will not know their location. But JS8 map learns along with JS8 call. If you see a station on JS8 call where its grid value is not showing, just send them a grid message. If the station replies, JS8 map will see that the reply is or will see their reply as well and add it to its own database and start drawing it on the map. If all else fails, if you learn a station's grid by other means, you can manually edit the callbook.dat file and add the call sign and grid, then restart JS8 map. When JS8 map exits, it will always print a list of the call signs I heard, but never learned the location. Seems like somebody might want to integrate this with a certain other grid mapper. Well, you know, this one is not written in uh, JavaScript. JavaScript so yeah. <laughs> this one's actually written in, I believe, Python. Ooh, well, so, I mean, uh, TK enter and stuff like that for the uh, UI. So Inter integration yeah. is still possible, even if the other application is written in, you know, a crap language. So <laughs> <laughs> despite the fact that it's written in a crap language, it works really well. I'm, I'm looking at my, my map screen right now um, of all my FT8 contacts. So. Oh yeah. I don't use that. Yeah, I know. I know. You just gets in the way of my automation. Yeah, I know you automate your FTA anyway. You're such a loser. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we have one final Linux in the <laughs> we 
We have one final Linux in the Hamshack topic, and it is going to be, uh, I'm assuming, a review of a newly released old, well, not old, but a newly released uh, well-known Linux operating system, and Bill's going to walk us through it. Yeah, it's so well-known, I didn't even put any notes here because I'm just that awesome. No, this is uh, Elementary OS uh, 6. Odin is out, and uh, this is based on Focal Fossa, so uh, the latest LTS, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so uh, the latest uh, Ubuntu uh, LTS uh, build is sitting behind this, and I do have to say <clears throat> it is, uh, yeah, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> not not in a Garuda way. Garuda's just like kind of shiny eye candy. <clears throat> but uh, you know, elementary OS has always had that uh, the Pantheon uh, UI um I guess, you know, a dock more, you know, mimicking the uh Mac OS uh, look and feel generally. Um it was always meant to be like an alternative for those users and stuff like that cuz it's a very familiar interface and stuff like that, but yeah, they did a great job. I mean, the the team is uh is uh is doing things right <laughs> in the looks department. Um of course they are also doing a bunch of other stuff with their applications that they're developing and skinning and everything else for uh, the latest uh, version. They have a nice uh, sexy dark mode in the uh current uh look and feel. And uh so yeah, I I decided to take it for a quick ride and and see how it uh, see how it would handle a good old LHS readiness score, which we haven't whipped out here uh, lately. Uh, so I thought, uh, yeah, why not? So <clears throat> I installed it on a uh, on a VM, and it uh, yeah, I mean, I was able to install the Hammerdeal Pure Blend packages. Everything uh, was right where the, all the focal fossa stuff is, so no problems there. Um, installing WSJTX, of course, wanted to grab the the most recent deb, you know, so on and so forth. So yeah, um, it's it's as good as uh, any of the Ubuntu builds, um, except for it's just a little bit sexier. So uh, I'm gonna give it a 4.8 out of five. So it's really high. So if you're doing an Ubuntu build uh, system and you want to stick on an LTS basis. Uh, elementary OS is definitely an option. You can uh, definitely use the command line to do all your installs and stuff like that. I know some people, uh, you know, they do have like an app center where they you can you can pay uh, to uh, download applications in. I believe that's all optional, much like the download of the actual uh, ISO image for Elementary. You can put in zero dollars if you want to put in zero dollars. But uh, some of the applications that they've developed specifically for being used in elementary do look really nice and um, do warrant maybe uh, tossing a few uh, few spare coins uh, their way for uh, for that software and the work that they've done to uh, to make it look so good. So yeah, yeah, four point eight on elementary OS six Odin. It's out. Go check it out. All right, fantastic, nice review and a nice score. So if you want to use elementary OS in your ham shack, looks like it'll be easy peasy, not uh, <laughs> intolerant of other people's nationalities, peasy. <laughs> Lemon squeezy? <laughs> that, that's nationality? No, it's, uh, there's, there's a different way to end that than, than lemon squeezy. But <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Starts with a J. I'm, I'm apparently not, not, uh, not uh, suffering from that uh, ailment. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that brings us down to the end of our short topics for the evening. And since we're all over the place, 
Um, maybe Cheryl can uh, right the ship and bring us back in line. Or maybe not. Who knows? Anyway, I think it's too far gone at this point. Probably. But it's time for the social media roundup. So uh, you're here now, and uh, we'll let you take us down through the list. All right. So for the beginning of our list, we start with our Patreons. And we have Bryce Johnston and David Scarf, who are new. Thank you very much. David Slaughter, Jim Lawson, Patrick Ang, Douglas Schock, Eric Guth, Brandon Rosak, John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Pitts, Douglas Redder, David Chakeway, Darren King, Cubicle Nate, Erno Costales, Samuel Vimes, Peter Caffrey, Richard Gordon, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Donald Gover, Herb Garcia, Steve Sainer, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, and Andy Webster. For our subscriptions, we have Paul Mooney, Chris DeLuca, Andy Cowley, Eric Muller, Carl Backus, Isaac Year, Thomas Foy, Michael Burdak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coberly, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Peter Spots, Fred Cole, Bill Piotr, Jeffrey Boris, Robert Halliday, Wayne Hale, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Roger Pereira, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Angle, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, and Jeff Zimmerman. No new people on Facebook this week. For Twitter, we had at NoriIron6. On YouTube, we had Jeff KC8RPO. On Discord, we had ZL2NST and Quasar Deneb or Deneb. Uh, no people have joined our mailing list, and by the way, it's back up. If you've missed the if missed the memo at this point, and there were no merchandise sales, and Russ is sitting in the background chomping on Pringles. Oh, was that coming through? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, yes, it was. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got to turn the gate up a little bit more. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so thank you everybody who supports the show financially and who joins us on our social media platforms. We always love when you interact with the show. And uh, just so you know, the last one, that's that Bryce is the one who was on Discord. It's Deneb, Quasar Deneb, but whatever, it doesn't make any difference. <clears throat> so, which is why I made a point of saying something about it. <laughs> um. So anyway, that brings us down to the end of the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you have a great week and will join us for the next episode of the program whenever that rolls around. Uh, hopefully, it's in a week like it's supposed to be. You know, things change, but we're here when we can be, when life is not tearing us down and when the planet's not on fire. Uh, but as you noticed, we are here recording even though the planet is on fire. So we're, we're, we're dedicated. <laughs> uh, if you don't think, you know, if you don't think the planet's on fire... Just watch the news. Or look out our front door. Well, yeah, because even if you can't see the fire, you can see the smoke. <laughs> so anyway, let's go ahead and mention the folks who are with us tonight in the chat room before we run out the door. We had Don KC9ZMY, Tony K4XSS, Bryce K0NYX, Darren VK6CK, and Steve K7HVT. Thanks for being here. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we all will get out of here. And like I said, hope you have a great week. And tune in next time for our well it's either going to be a deep dive or it's going to be the recording of the qso today ham radio expo whichever comes first i guess not sure but it will be interesting nonetheless and uh, we hope you enjoy that too when it gets released so thanks for being here 
And we'll catch you all next time. This has been episode number 425 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. For listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8 pm Central Time plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. (laughs) 